hear the word of God as Paul writes it to the church people at Corinth in his first letter to the Christians at Corinthia. We are reading at the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. But I, brethren, could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even yet you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal, and each shall receive his wages according to his labor. For we are fellow workmen for God. You are God's field, God's building. According to the commission of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has been built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. Things don't just happen. That is a principle of life. And it makes no difference what you're trying to do. Things don't just happen. People have to help make them happen. This is true if you're trying to construct a home you're trying to build a marriage or a family. It's true if uh, you're involved in athletic contest. It's true if you're trying to profess a profession, maintain a business. It's true if you're trying to run for president of the United States. And it's also true if you're trying to maintain a program of a church. Things don't just happen.
two ingredients are necessary if things are going to happen. One, the initiative of God must be combined with the response of persons. The initiative of God must be combined with the response of persons, and the two forces make good things happen. And the reason things, good things, do not happen is either God is not initiating or persons are not responding. It's as simple as that. God needs us, and we need God, if things are going to happen. As Meister Erhardt, the 13th century German mystic, says, God can as little do without us as we can without him. But together, things happen. Now, it's very, very difficult for us to know all the ways that God makes things happen, that God exercises his initiative through grace to bring new revelation, new ideas, new concepts. We can't speak for God. If we could, we'd be God. So we can't fully understand the mysteries of God, his wonders always to perform. But with the help of God's word and through the example and teachings and life of Jesus Christ, we can come to an understanding of man's responsibility and man's response to cause things to happen. When you look at this in its overall picture, I think you begin to see that man's responsibility begins and he makes things happen. When, first of all, he presumes some things. When there is presumption. Now, let me explain that. God in Jesus Christ came to this world and through the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ you and I have salvation. What Christ did on that cross affected the justification that God needed in the world and he did it through the person of his only begotten son Jesus Christ. And you and I have salvation. We are justified when we believe that Christ died for us. Now, one of the things that theologians like to spend time discussing is when did this unique personality, Jesus Christ, know that he was both man and God? Now, this is rather deep, but theologically, you see, the con of Christian theology is that Jesus is both totally human and totally divine. As the old ancient creed says, he's very God and very man. He's both. In other words, in that individual who walked the face of this earth nearly 2,000 years ago, every bit of the human nature, the feelings, emotions that you and I have, they were in Jesus. Jesus was true man but also in this unique, only begotten Son of God was also everything of God. 
The nature of God is in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, God was in Christ. He is God, Emmanuel, with us. He is God. So you see, in this unique personality, you have the two natures meeting. Now, when was it that Jesus, the Son of God, knew he was also the Son of Man? There had to be a time when he came to this decision before he could assume his job and his function. When was it? Being a little human baby, I don't think it was at Bethlehem because Jesus in the crib was just like all of us in the crib. We are limited in our knowledge. We don't even know we're there. There gives some evidence that maybe by the time he was 12 years old and being questioned by the leaders in the temple that he had some concept or belief that he was unique when he said, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? I personally believe it was happening sometime during those silent days when the scripture doesn't tell us too much, namely that period when Jesus was 12 years of age. That's where the second chapter of Luke ends. And it doesn't pick it up until the third chapter. And there it's some 15, 16, 17 years later. You know, there's about 15 to 18 years in the life of Jesus that scripture tells us absolutely nothing about. Now, sometime during that period, I think that Jesus perceived of the idea that he was unique, that he was important, that God had a special purpose for his life. I don't know when it happened. Maybe it was when Mary would tell him stories about his miraculous birth, how she had been chosen, made blessed of all other women, and how the Holy Spirit had come upon her and she had conceived as a virgin to bring forth her son. Maybe Jesus got this concept when in school his, his teachers saw that he had a uniqueness about him to grab the problem and to understand its significance. Maybe it was when he was a smaller manufacturer with his, with his father in that carpenter business and the customers came in and saw the uniqueness of this individual. Maybe he got the concept when his peers looked upon him and thought he was a little different, a little odd, and he couldn't understand it. It hurt at first until he realized he was just a little bit different. Maybe he got this presumption Week after week, when he sat in the worship service of the synagogue and the rabbi tried to tell him, you're different. You're different. You're important. God created you to help make things happen. I don't know when it happened, but I do know sometime prior to his baptism by John the Baptist, Jesus... Jesus the Christ presumed that he was important in the sight of God. And before he could go to the cross, he lived on that presumption. That's the way it happens. Things don't happen until people are willing to believe 
and presume that they are important in the sight of God and God created them to do things. That's the history of the church. This church, 106 years we, we've been here and causing things to happen. You know, I, I, I last night took from my shelf that history that Ray Nicholas wrote for our centennial. You know, and I, I can't help but trying to transport myself back 106 years ago when people, some of our forefathers, decided and had the presumption that God wanted a church here. You know, I think it's hard for us 1,519 members, 2,000 counting children. Those of us who this morning just approved a $201,000 budget for next year to believe that we came into existence because of an idea presumed by one person. Wish you knew who it was. If it was S.H. Allen, William Whiteside, John E. Walt, his brother. I don't know, but one of those 58 people way back then, they got the idea and were presumptuous enough to believe that God wanted a church right here on this piece of real estate, and they went at it. And they built bricks down here just north of Gibsonia Road, bricks which now outline this wall and that wall, bricks which, by the way, your session last month approved to spend several thousands of dollars to repoint those hysteric bricks that are part of the basic structure of this church. Today we have buildings valued at more than one and a half million dollars. And it all began because of one person who perceived and who presumed <laughs> that he was important and God was calling him to build a church. Some of you owe your salvation to that fact. Hallelujah. That's what makes things happen. When one person presumes that God has created him to make things happen. Secondly, it proceeds when you have a purpose. See, that's what Jesus did when, when, when he decided that he was unique, different. He had a job to do. He had to decide on his program, his purpose. And he went back home, you remember, to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And he, he borrowed it from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And he stood up and he told the people there, I have a five-point program. Five points in my program. One, to preach good news to the poor. Two, to proclaim release to the captives. Three, recovery of sight to those who are spiritually blind. Four, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And five, to tell people that now is the time to believe on me, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He told those people, that's my five-point purpose. Now, I have to tell you, some of the people in that group didn't like the words of that one whom today we call the head of the church and whose body the church actually is. They ran him out of town in Nazareth. They didn't want to hear anything more about his five-point program. But that was the purpose for which Jesus felt the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he went about for three years pushing towards that purpose. That's what allowed him to get things done. 
The reason I think that some churches don't have much happening in them today is they really don't have a purpose to be in existence. I say that kindly, but I say it candidly. I hope that'll never happen around here because, you see, things don't happen if you don't have a purpose. I think it's high time we begin to realize that a church is not in business to serve meals to the community. That's the job of the restauranteur. I think a church is not in business to produce products and to sell candy and wrapping and writing paper. A church is not in business or is mandated to go out simply to perform or allow a platform where people can perform to show off their talents. A church is not a poor man's country club, and a church is not just some place where you have to go between the hours of 9.45 and 12 on Sunday morning. A church is not a place where people are to compete for leadership. A church has one purpose, and that is to fulfill the mandate of Jesus Christ, to preach the good news, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the spiritually blinded, and to tell people this is the day. That's it. Things don't happen if you don't have a purpose, nor a plan. You see, you have to have a plan or it doesn't work. And a plan is nothing more than putting the flesh and putting the bone on the skeleton called purpose. We have just lived through a very historic week in the life of our nation. And historians in years to come are going to write an awful lot about what happened last Tuesday. I know a lot of Presbyterians who are very sad. Regardless of how you feel, one thing you've got to say, we have just had an example of what can happen when one person is willing to presume some things, has a simple program, and then follows it with a plan. We have just seen where one person can rise from almost obscurity to be elected President of the United States in less than 30 months. Things happen because of a plan. Jesus knew that, and that is why he planned after his death to allow people to be united, to carry on his project. He told them to go into the uttermost parts of the world preaching and teaching, and his plan was affected when under the power of the Holy Spirit, people, people became united in doing his purpose. Jesus taught. Jesus preached, Jesus loved, Jesus worked hard, he stayed up at night, he made sacrifices, he laid down his life. But he made things happen. And you know how he did it? By asking people to follow him. He was never too proud to ask people to believe in him and follow him. And because he asked them, they did. And his plan happened. He participated with people. He got people to participate in his program. 
And the success of the church has been that people have been participating ever since. The plan in this church is very simple. Clerk of Session Hartzell outlined it for you. We are trying, to the best of our ability, to make the same purpose that Jesus Christ made in his ministry. Our plan is very simple, to give you the best of education, the best of preaching that we're possible of doing, the best in music, trying to give you the best of pastoral care. And we come by asking you simply to respond. You know, when you go to seminary, you learn how to run financial campaigns, you get organization, you, you ever remember Canvas, you telephone calls, write all sorts of letters, push, 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 push. So I tried when I came here and the people just shook their head in kindness and love. They made a believer out of me. They said, Dick, ask the people and they'll respond. And you know, every time I've asked you, every time without exception, you have responded. We don't have a big campaign this year. I mean, no doorbells rung, no telephones. Going to be one letter, few announcements. We're asking. And you're going to respond. You're participating with us. We're not going to try to fool anybody. We put the cards on the table. That's it. That's what makes things happen. But there's one other thing that you have to understand. And that is persistence or perseverance. That's the 5P that makes things happen. Perseverance. Continuing on. Keeping the hammer down. Not letting up. Asking, asking, and asking. In the church and in the world, there are three types of people, and all people can be classified into one of three groups. Either those who don't know what's happening. Second group, those who really don't care what's happening. And thirdly, thank God, those people who make things happen. I believe I'm a pastor of a church of people who not only want to see things happen, but who will make them happen through your presumption, through the purpose, the plan, the participation, and the perseverance that we'll all give it. That's what makes things happen. Father, we're very, very grateful for the opportunity to be frank and honest and open and to realize you need us as much as we need you. Father, you have never disappointed us. We don't believe we're going to disappoint you either. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all and with what is happening in your life for the good now and forevermore. Amen.